0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, Ben Golliver. What's up, man?
1: Not too much, Andrew. You know, for all the talk we do about off-season golf or whatever I'm up to during the summer, we don't spend nearly enough time talking about what you're up to. And I actually have compil- compiled a list of grievances here because <laughs> I haven't. Here we go. haven't heard very much from you recently and i'm just going to start from the top you know number one the phone quality you've got going on here is absolutely abysmal you need to contact alexander graham bell i don't know if you're in some sort of a cave in central america or what's happening there but clearly you're well off the radar and you're not sharing your gps coordinates with myself in the open floor globe and we'd like to know a little bit about it that's number one number two You might have heard that Manu Ginobili retired. Obviously, this was a heartbreaking day for me. Did I get a sympathy text from you? You know, if Jamal Crawford had retired, don't you think I would have probably (laughs) reached out immediately? I hear nothing from you whatsoever, and I can see the wheels turning in your head. Oh, we'll just cover it on the next podcast. Andrew, not good enough. You're leaving me hanging emotionally. Come on, man. Number three... Uh, Stephen Curry kind of broke barriers a little bit last week by hosting a basketball camp specifically for girls. Now, it's not the girls can tag along to the boys camp. It's not a co-ed camp. It's specifically for girls. I thought that was an awesome idea. I couldn't believe another star player hadn't thought of it earlier. But you know what really bothered me, Andrew? You what? didn't even care care enough to text me and be like, Kevin Durant would never. That's why <laughs> Steph's better than KD. Look what he's doing for the community. He's a leader on and off the court. I cherish those kinds of debates, Andrew. I think it's a huge feather in Steph's cap in terms of his leadership and the culture and all that stuff. And for a thirty stand like yourself to just let that go by... I was disappointed. Those are my major gripes. I have two other smaller gripes, though. Now, you may have heard this Drake song that has the challenge where everybody's, you know, getting out of their cars and doing the dance and all of that, uh, you know, feelings, something along those lines. I think I've, I've... Is that the Kiki song? Exactly. The Kiki song. Well, the you know Kiki what The Kiki song, song is big. The, it's very big. And it took me until <laughs> late August to hear the song of the summer. But you know what I realized The first three words of the Kiki song are Trap Money Benny. Now, I believe that's the producer or or somewhat involved in in making the song. Let me tell you, Andrew, if there was a viral global sensation of a song that was and it started with Trap Money, Andrew, not only would I have mentioned that to you (laughs) on the podcast, but I would be calling you Trap Money Andrew regularly, okay? So you just let that go. Obviously, uh, you're not giving me my shine. And my yeah. final grievance, my last, my fifth grievance is you know who my favorite Houston rapper is, right?
0: Uh, Slim Thug, maybe?
1: No, it's Scott Travis. I mean, it should okay? be Scarface, we... but. Oh, okay, it's Scott Travis. And obviously, that, that was a big <laughs> Scott deal <Travis>. during. <laughs> during the playoffs my favorite houston rapper scott travis has a song on his new album and it's called yosemite which happens to be one of my favorite national parks you would think as a guy who claims to be younger cooler and hipper than grandpa Golliver, would know that you know this song on such a big well-known album a big hot release a real cut would have put two and two together and let me know that my favorite rapper merged a new genre with my National Parks love and brought it all together for me. Did I hear one word about this from you over the last two weeks? The answer is no. No, I didn't. And what do you have to say for yourself?
0: Wow. There's a lot there. I mean, right off the bat, you're coming off the top rope with all kinds of gibberish that most people don't care about. But I'll take it one by one here. I'll do my best. I'll go in reverse order. Number one, I do try to stay connected to the youth and listen to cool stuff, watch cool stuff, whatever. The, the one place I draw the line is with rap music. And I have an 18-year-old cousin who actually just went to college. Um, and he was trying to get me into Astro World and Travis Scott, and I just couldn't quite do it. I did listen to the new Pusha T album while I was away on vacation, and I was like four months late on that, but the new Pusha album is really, really good, and I think that's more like old guy rap and Travis Scott is a bridge too far, but, uh, so that's my, (laughs) that's my alibi on that one, and then the trap Benny line in the Drake song. First of all, I've never heard the full song. I've only heard the chorus. Uh And number two, you're a Ben. You're not a Benny to me. If I did hear a rapper shouting out Ben in a song, I would immediately think of you. But you're kind of like, that's Benny is a whole different category of person. And you're far too mature and or uptight <laughs> to ever be a Benny. Do you agree with that?
1: Oh, I mean, okay, if it was trap money, Andy, I get what you're saying. It would be a little <laughs> bit different. But I think I would still reference it once in a while. I'm not saying you have to call me that all, you know, every single time. But, you know, once in a while, I'll throw it out
0: there. Make me feel cool. There you go. Okay, well, number three, uh, I forget what the third grievance was. Oh, it was the Steph S- thing. I don't know, Steph man. I, I don't know what to tell you. I've been completely off the grid. I didn't even know that that happened. I did see a couple people sharing like a Steph Players Tribune article and uh I assume that that's that's where he kind of announced all this and good for him Steph continues to be absolutely fantastic as a celebrity and and member of public life um but I didn't get to the Players Tribune piece while I was on vacation and yeah I think that accounts for number one also is that I just I've been completely off the grid and it's been really nice. And I'm now back in DC where it's like 97 degrees and I'm ready to kind of dive back into the, to the mix here. I'm excited to be back because we got real basketball news with Manu retiring.
1: Okay, well, sprinkle us a little knowledge about what you did while you were gone. We're all curious, Andrew. You keep telling us, oh, I'm off the grid. I'm off the grid. I mean, is there some sort of a security clearance issue <laughs> why you can't discuss where you're going? Or give us no. a taste of what you've been up to.
0: <laughs> all right, so I was in Cape Cod. I was actually on Nantucket, which I don't like to talk about because Nantucket, you always sound like kind of a douchebag if you say you go there. Uh, but I was there for a week. And had a great time with my wife and and my family, did some reading, read about dark money, read the secret history. And uh, yeah, you know, it was it was a very relaxing. I did a lot of communing with nature. I was getting my golfer on while I was out there.
1: That's fantastic. So the people who do live up to that Nantucket stereotype, I mean, are they surrounding you at all times? Are you resenting them? Or are you really one of them and you just come here on the podcast and pretend you're not?
0: <laughs> no. So here's the thing. When you're in Nantucket, you you kind of have to steer clear of a few hotspots that are going to be full of douchebags. But the rest of the island really is like you would love it there. There's a lot of nature, a lot of land has been conserved. And so... The rest of the time I'm pretty much just like going on bike rides and listening to mid 90s rap music and kind of living my own dream up there Uh, and so yeah you can live a nice like low key solitary life or you can get in the mix like with the with the different bars and everything else and that's kind of like a different scene that I'm not really like a part of at this point.
1: Well, that does sound pretty nice. I've been to Nantucket only for a day trip. It was nice. Not bad for the decrepit eastern seaboard, um, but I'm very happy. <laughs> it's as good as we could do, you know? What can I say? I'm very happy to welcome you back to Civilization, because we do have a little bit of uh, you know important news to discuss with Manu, and not only that, some great questions came into OpenFloorMail at gmail.com, and I'm kind of raring to get through some of these.
0: Yeah, let's do it. And yes, we can continue with your summer-long therapy session uh, regarding the state of your beloved Spurs. We'll start with this question from Christopher, who says, Andrew and Ben, I am a lifelong Spurs fan. Monday was a day that I think the organization needed to happen, but it was still sad. Manu Ginobili has announced his retirement. My question now, is Ginobili a Hall of Famer or not? I will admit I'm on the fence on this one, even as a Spurs fan. I think he likely likely makes it, but I'm not sure he should. Part of me thinks Manu is in the hall of the very good. Bigger question, though, how will you guys remember Manu? And this is one of several questions that we got about Manu in the Hall of Fame. I think that we should save that for the end of the Manu discussion. Just... Off the top, though, what are your thoughts on Manu? This is now like the third time that we've mourned his departure from the NBA because there were a couple of false starts there. But uh, what were you thinking of this week when it, when the news finally hit?
1: Well, first of all, we don't need to save the discussion for the end. Andrew, he's going to make the Hall of Fame period first ballot, no question. We've got guys like Mitch Richmond in the Hall of Fame. Come on now. like okay. Remember, it's not just about the NBA. It's about his entire international... Uh, You know, resume. He's got the gold medal. He's got some amazing, uh, you know, play uh, in various European competitions before he came to the NBA. He's got four rings. He's probably the most important sixth man in NBA history if you look at influence. Uh, You throw on top of that personality. And look, personality goes a long way in these kinds of things. And no one has a bad word to say about Manu. Um, Yeah. He's in. End of debate. We don't really need to dig into that. And I'm shocked that a Spurs fan would be nervous in the slightest about Ma- Manu making the <laughs> Hall of Fame. He will be in the Hall of Fame, and there will be hundreds of Argentinians there uh, in their jerseys, chanting up, you know, chanting his name, jumping up and down, Manu, Manu. When okay, he goes all right, I can't I, wait. I, for I that. agree
0: with you. I agree with you. I think. It's natural to wonder, though, about whether he would make the Hall of Fame if not for the international contributions, okay? And, I like, the one thing that I did notice this week as everyone was kind of celebrating him on the way out, and which was great, and it's cool that the NBA does this, uh, and then just in terms of, like, as a community— Everybody shows each other love, and it's really cool. It was cool to see LeBron saying nice things about Manu. It was cool to see Kobe chiming in, and like, it was it was a nice sort of scene for the uh, over the first couple days this week. I do think there was a little bit of a disconnect between the way people were talking about him and what he actually accomplished in the NBA. Like, people were talking about him as if he was Dwayne Wade for the past fifteen years, when I think. His impact was closer to someone like Lamar Odom, who like and his role in the Spurs titles, and like he was very very good. But Odom is kind of on the Hall of Fame bubble himself, and probably won't make it in. So, it's it's a legitimate question if not for Uh, the international contributions.
1: I disagree. I think he's in either way. I think he's had a much better total career uh, than Lamar Odom. I get where you're going, where you say okay, there's a, a cut between him and and Dwayne Wade and I think what kind of uh, you know explains that difference between him and a player like Wade is what he did sacrifice and it sounds hokey and everyone's going to say oh yeah okay this old story about how he went to the bench again but the reason why guys like LeBron James and Kobe Bryant paid tribute to him is because they know Manu was willing to give up things that they never would have been willing to give up in their prime yeah. years right like can, can you imagine a world where Manu just pulls a James Harden and he's like, you know what? I'd rather have my own team. I want a max contract. I want uh, everything to be built around me. You know, when he's coming up, you know, a couple years into his career, right? He could have had all of those things. There definitely would have been teams that would have put him in that situation. Now, would he be able to be the number one guy on a team that goes to the conference finals or a team that, you know, goes to the finals? Uh, That's an open question.
0: I hear you on that. uh, and that, that would have been fascinating he, to watch. Like I, I would have loved to see Manu with his own team or even on a team where he was like the second superstar, because seeing him in that context would have been a, a great experiment. And we never got to see that. And in exchange for that, he got four or five rings, uh, which is great for him. I think he finished with four, right? Four. But I don't think he has any regrets about that, do you? Yeah, I mean, and he, he seems he to d- me. He doesn't. It, and it worked out like, for him. Yeah, it worked out and we also got to see him instead of being kind of like a middle of the road lead superstar, which isn't a shot at him, but I just don't think he would have ever been like a a Kobe or or what Harden is now or what Dwayne Wade was. Um instead of seeing that we got to see him turn into one of the greatest third stars and like greatest role playing stars we've ever seen in the NBA, which is awesome. And it's an incredible accomplishment in its own right.
1: No question. And you asked, what did I think about most this week? Well, since I didn't have you to commiserate with, I actually did a little deep dive uh, into YouTube And my favorite team I think I've ever covered in person is the 2014 Spurs. I'm sure I've said that before. I mean, just their whole story about, you know, coming back after 2013, how well they played throughout the playoffs, uh, their amazing tilt with Oklahoma City, and then just blitzing the heat off the court in the finals. Uh, Yeah. You look at just the geographical diversity of that group. It's my favorite team ever, but... I think my favorite moment from that whole run, and there's a bunch of good ones. I always talk about Duncan, you know, guaranteeing the title over LeBron. and But I think one that gets maybe forgotten a little bit, and I'm going to blame the Warriors because they came along and were just so amazing the next couple of years that people forgot about this team a little bit. But if you yeah. go back to game five of the NBA finals, Andrew, the Spurs are at home in San Antonio, and the whole feeling in the building is like... You know it's not supposed to be this easy like we're not supposed to run prime lebron off the court in five games this isn't supposed to be 2007 like what's going on here and miami gets out to a 22 to 6 lead and all of a sudden the panic sets in like uh uh-oh did like lebron just wake up like what's happening what does san antonio do well what they always do they put manu ginobili in the game Midway through the first quarter, Manu drives hard to the paint. He he gets a very close 50-50 call with Shane Battier, but he gets the block call. He gets the and one. Next trip down, what does he do? Bang, three-pointer from the right angle. Spolster has to call quick timeout. And you could just see the electricity. In San Antonio's bench, when Manu, you know, makes those, you know, it's basically six points in a minute or so, and now all of a sudden, into uh, everyone's into the game. is throwing an alley oop to Kawhi Leonard. Uh oh, here's Tim yeah. Duncan on the left block. He's doing that rickety turnaround. What's he gonna do? Oh, he hits it over your face. Now he's sweeping through for another one. Uh, Splitter all of a sudden is making contributions offensively. Here comes Kawhi Leonard down uh, the court. He's stopping, popping for a three pointer. Then the ball goes back to Manu. Uh, he's in wide open in space. You know, he, he takes a guy like Rashard Lewis off the dribble for a reverse layup. The crowd is going absolutely nuts. And then what happens, Andrew? One of the greatest old man dunks in NBA history. Yep. He's going off the dribble against Ray Allen. Hey, it's an old guy going past an old guy. How cute is that? It's almost like the senior citizens are playing. Nope. Manu Ginobili rises and throws down a vicious left-hand dunk right on Chris Bosh's head and everyone's looking around like oh my god they cut to LeBron at the next time out he's swearing he can't believe what just happened you know Ginobili comes back out again hits another three-pointer next thing you know San Antonio has gone on a 39 to 15 run and they beat Miami so badly after being down twenty-two to six in the first quarter that they didn't even have to celebrate on the court. After they just went and shook hands, you know. And I was like, "Cool, hey, thanks for coming, guys. Good times." <laughs> yeah, it's that true. is what I. That's what I'm going to remember about Manu Ginobili. His ability to not only uh, you know, throw these incredible passes, you know, get off the ground and dunk when he was younger, hit the the key three pointers, his amazing drives to the hoop, but the impact it had on all of his teammates and on the crowd, that's sort of what made him special. And he had that superstar like, uh, connection with Spurs fans, uh, and with his team. I mean, he, people call him the heart. It's sort of that Draymond factor, right? It's like when he's going, everyone's going That's what I'm going to remember about Manu, and he played a huge role in that Spurs team being my favorite team I've ever covered.
0: Yeah, I really can't imagine any title that would be more satisfying for you than that Spurs title must have been. I wish we had been friends at the time, because I personally did not love that Spurs team, um, but I've come to really respect and appreciate them a lot more now now that i'm more mature and don't listen to travis scott uh i really do like they they are very (laughs) cool and what they accomplished that year was very cool and i like that you pointed out with that particular title everyone kind of puts an asterisk next to it and says, "Oh, the Heat were out of gas. They just didn't have it, and it was it was a wash from the start." But that's really not how the series played out. And what what actually happened is both the first two games were pretty close, and then Game Three hit, and and basically the Spurs were just so good and so relentless that they completely broke that Heat team and broke the whole fucking dynasty that they, that Miami had. And Miami just quit, and it was incredible to watch, and it's a credit to how good and how consistent that particular Spurs team was.
1: No, they were great. I mean, game three in that series is the one everyone will remember because they put up 71 points in the first half back when that yes. seemed impossible. Now now Golden State does that, and it's like a routine. It's like, oh yeah, here's 71 for you. In a, <laughs> well, in that was finals. kind of the beginning no of
0: Golden State because what Golden State did is take a lot of the Spurs ball movement principles and sh- and apply it with superstars in the middle of their prime. And so they kind of weaponized it to a degree that we didn't even think was possible But the Spurs are the people who laid out some of the blueprint to what Golden State has done. Um, In general... question. I mean,
1: real quick, though, game three, I went down onto the court after game three and took a picture of the net that the Spurs had been shooting into in the first half when they scored their 71 points and basically (laughs) didn't miss. And I was like, we need to send this net to Naismith right now. I mean, that that was the feeling in the building. Uh, Like they had broke, like you're saying, broken... Uh, A dynasty like solved basketball is like here's an offense that basically seems unstoppable because they can score from all five positions and the ball just moves constantly. Um, They deserve a lot of credit in that charting of like, you know, this beautiful game idea of like, you know, soccer being more like basketball and uh, offense just being impossible to stop like the Spurs deserve their little chapter in there, too don't just skip over from like the Nash Suns straight to the Curry Warriors like you know yeah. give San Antonio its due too
0: Well because seriously I think that there's a lot of Spurs DNA in what makes the Warriors so impossible to stop and you can also point to the Celtics and say that they're building a similar kind of culture where a lot of guys look even better than they actually are and and Stevens is playing the guys strengths the same way Popovich has done in San Antonio so I mean I guess the Spurs are kind of the standard for excellence, such that like every team going forward is going to have some Spurs DNA in them. And again, I hated the Spurs for most of their run. Um, And I, I think part of the problem is that like during the mid 2000s, when Manu was at his most electric, and I think you could have made the case that like he could have gone somewhere else and been a James Harden type lead guard uh that's also when the spurs were just horrible to watch and like that spurs pistons finals i think it was 2006 <laughs> was like a low point for the whole damn league and so maybe you enjoyed it i i don't know we've never really talked about it but i think another thing i love about manu is that he helped spearhead the evolution for the Spurs to where over the last 10 years, they've become, it's like night and day. I mean, they play this wide open, beautiful game where everyone's touching the ball and it's awesome. And Manu deserves a lot of credit for that as well. And now we should probably well, stop th- gushing.
1: Yeah, I well, I think in all honesty, even the most diehard Spurs fans can recognize that the NBA is at a better place now than it was, yeah. you know, during those early 2000s. And that doesn't mean that they had ruined the sport. I mean, they had found the formula that worked for that time period and they milked it and milked it and milked it. Uh, But I think that, I mean, Popovich will be remembered not just for having like one style and kind of imposing it upon his team and always having those guys play that way and it just worked for decades. I mean, he is going to be... Remembered whenever he retires as this great evolver, right? Like a guy who takes whatever talent he has and you know meshes with the current style of play or whatever the best practices are to kind of keep his team in the mix constantly and to have players who are able to make those kinds of adjustments. And it's not just Manu, but I think you're right to point to him first because you know he really was you know the flair and the offensive engine a lot of the times, but also Parker. Uh, evolved as a player and then Duncan just being able to kind of withstand any trend uh, you know up until the very end I mean those guys are are also kind of evolutionary players as well so uh, I think we kind of say goodbye to that whole group with Manu retiring though I mean that was another thought that was sort of on my mind is you know training camp is going to be so so weird because it's not just Manu being gone it's Parker not being there it's Kyle Anderson not being there. It's Danny Green, who was around for basically all of the you know the second half of the Spurs run, uh, not being there. You know, Kawhi. I mean, that's a lot of institutional knowledge. It's a lot of friendships. It's a lot of built up shared habits. Uh, you know, it's it's going to be a weird, weird place. I'm sure the beat guys down there in San Antonio are going to show up in late September and want name tags on the players. You know, it's like, yeah. who are these people?
0: Don't worry about it, man. You got Lamarcus and Demar. the 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 future uh, of the Spurs uh, is gonna be uh, fine. I just w- the one thing I would add is when I say Manu helped spearhead the evolution. I think what I mean is that because uh, I, when I was listening to you, like it wasn't all Manu. There's that's not what I'm saying. But what I mean is that like what has made the Spurs special over the last ten years is like fifty percent creativity that hasn't really existed elsewhere and 50% sacrifice that doesn't really happen elsewhere and Manu did a really great job personifying all of that and uh and he's definitely a hall of famer um not only for his international contributions but because in the NBA like he was a a winner and an incredible uh role player that we're not going to see a guy that plays the way he did for a really long time so Shout Except out to Except on YouTube. Except on
1: YouTube. Go back and watch that 2014 Finals Game 5. You should do it after we're done talking, Andrew, and all the listeners should go back and watch that run I'm describing. You may even get tears in your eyes when you watch <laughs>
0: Or you might not. You know. <laughs> Let's move on here. Tanner has a question elsewhere in the West. Uh, hey, guys, he says, as a Jazz fan, we've had legendary players like John Stockton, Carl Malone, Pistol Pete, etc. And yet, we have bageled on finals wins throughout our franchise history as if we're the Vikings of the NBA. But I guess it could be worse, because here is the full list of teams that have never won an NBA Finals. Jazz, Pacers, Hornets, Thunder, Nets, Grizzlies, Raptors, Suns, Timberwolves, Pelicans, Clippers, Nuggets, Magic. Can we get a power ranking of these teams and their chances of ever winning a title? Um, Do you have any initial thoughts, Ben? There's a lot of teams to to try and rank there, so it's going to be tough to do this on a podcast. But what do you think?
1: Well, I, I think... One one team that immediately jumped to mind was sort of the Warriors because they had won titles like, you know, our title in the 70s, you know, kind of way back. But they were in the doldrums right there with like the Orlando Magics oh, yeah. uh, and Phoenix Suns of the world, like not that long ago. And I think the lesson from them is like the importance of committed ownership and then also the importance of market too, right? I mean, those two things, they really use that to kind of maximize their benefit to draw uh, high-level players in free agency, and to kind of build a, a really quality culture that can, uh, you know, win a championship. And I think when you look at a number of the teams that you've just listed, even if you had the most committed ownership group in the world, like, would that make a difference necessarily? Would you ever be able to kind of mimic Golden State's success and compete with all these franchises that are getting A-list players, right? So I, I'm thinking about the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, The New Orleans Pelicans, Uh, you know, you might even throw the Denver Nuggets into that one, Uh, you know, the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, I mean, some of these teams, what is their path besides winning like the number one pick in like three straight lotteries, you know, and getting LeBron and, you know, his other siblings, LeBron Jr. and his other siblings, you know, 10 years from now? I'm yeah. not sure how you construct a path, even in a sort of an imaginary world, to get them up to that level like Golden State did. But I do think there's some teams in here who could be hidden gems too, right? Uh, you know, Utah has had very you know strong ownership group there for a long time, uh, yeah. track record of winning, clear culture. They know how to build it the right way. I could see them kind of sneaking out a final, sort of like the the Pistons did, uh, you know, in the 2000s. Uh, I could also see, you know, sleeping giants like, you know, the Brooklyn Nets and LA Clippers just because of geography, you know, at some point them finding a way to be cool and attracting people the right, you know, the right combination of star talent, uh, thanks to their market. And they've got some, you know, fairly deep pocketed owners, both those franchises do. Um, But aside from that, uh, a lot of these teams, it's like, what is the path? I mean, did you have that kind of a sense too, or like it was a dead end on some of these or no?
0: It's pretty sobering, man, because I don't like to think of the NBA as like a cast system, even though I think deep down, I know that's how it works. But when you look at some of these teams that have never won and try to think of like realistic paths for them to contend, it's tough. I mean... The bottom of the list is, like, the Hornets. Like, I don't know. I don't really see it for the Hornets. I could see them moving before ever winning a title. Um, Same with a, a couple of these cities. And particularly when what made it a little bit depressing for me is thinking about Minnesota and New Orleans because both of those teams have, like, realistic chances now and and real reasons for hope but there's also a, a good chance that we look up in two or three years and all that hope is playing in a different city in a big market with other superstars and like that so obviously that's Anthony Davis and it could be Carl Towns too he still hasn't signed his extension and still super weird and I don't know man it just is a kind of a bummer to think about some of this stuff um but uh, by the same token, you're right that r- small markets can work where the ownership and the management teams are on the, uh, are on the same page. And, uh, and that's how it worked in San Antonio. That's how it's worked in OKC the last few years. And it is working in Utah and Toronto as well. Yeah, and I think Minnesota is not a really... small market, but it's, it's Canada. So it's in its own little category.
1: I would say the Raptors have a chance at some point to win a title, but not in the short term. But, you know, their franchise is kind of making the right moves and they've they've shown a level of intelligence and commitment here the last couple of years to get me excited. But I think the Minnesota example is really uh, instructive, right? So they had three number one picks essentially because they had, you know, Anthony Bennett and Wiggins in the trade for love. uh, And then they had Carl Towns, right? They trade basically scrap pieces for a certified top 10 player in Jimmy Butler and they have a coach who they hired at the time was arguably the hottest name on the market, right? Mm-hmm. That's an awful lot of good things for to happen to them in a short period of time. Uh, but because, you know, Bennett's a bust, because Wiggins is sort of like a semi bust at this point uh, and because they didn't have like a really functional structure in terms of like front office versus the coaching staff to kind of have a check on Thibodeau. Uh, yeah. They haven't won a playoff series. They didn't win a playoff series last year. And I don't think they will win a playoff series with this group uh, before things blow up, right? So think about how far they still are from really winning a championship after all of those things went right for them. And that tells you why we're so pessimistic about half the names on this list, right?
0: Yeah, it's really tough, and it has to be kind of unnerving to root for one of these franchises. And by the way, I would say like the Wizards and the Hawks, and there are a couple other bigger market teams that could be included in this conversation, uh, despite having won a title in like the early 70s or something. Um, But in general, it would be unnerving to to root for a team like the Timberwolves or the Nuggets or the Pelicans, knowing that you basically have to nail every single move to have a real shot at at getting serious as a title contender. Um, While a team like the Lakers can just kind of dick around for five or six years and get lost in the wilderness, the Knicks are about to try to do the same thing. And basically turn around and say, Oh, like we nailed two or three draft picks and we have cap space. So we're going to go sign superstars now. And like that would be really tough to watch. Whereas like the Wolves, I did do rankings and the Wolves were low on my list because I feel like the trauma of having this current group uh, undone or pulled apart over the next couple of years is going to like leave a lasting stink that then takes another five or 10 years to recover from. Um, And it's just, it's a tough deal. And it's, we don't talk about it enough because it's kind of depressing, but it's a tough job for the bottom of the league. There's no question about it.
1: Oh, yeah. And I mean, just to make this one degree more depressing, as I was trying to figure out how a team like the Timberwolves would win a title, literally one of my first thoughts was like, if global warming picks up, (laughs) <laughs> and so you just you just like can't live in the cities that are you know la phoenix they're just like uninhabitable and minnesota with its beautiful lakes like right somehow becomes case, this new destination right
0: we've been over this minnesota if not for the winters is like one of the most delightful places in the united states they'd, ha- they'd have the inside track for everyone in that context
1: yeah, I mean, it's the same thing I tell my parents. Like, like they got a little place at the coast in Oregon, and I'm like, look, that's going to be San Diego in 30 years, so, like, just <laughs> hang on to it. You guys are going to be in great shape. But, like, I really think that, like, the path to a title for the Timberwolves just relies on, like, the melting of glaciers and the rising of oh oceans and all all <laughs> of these other things that we talk and worry about all the time. Like, Al Gore is buying future stock in the Timberwolves' <laughs> title hopes.
0: <laughs> totally um well here i'll read my list real quick before we move on i had the nets number one uh the nets i think will be in good shape the one thing i would hope they do over the next few years is like change their uniforms and color scheme because that team rebranded during like an 18 month period in the middle of the last decade where like All black, everything was cool. And Jay Z was like trying to give them a whole new image. And now like the nets are just so dreary and depressing. I'd like them to dress it up a little bit. But at some point, they seem like the the number one sleeping giant, don't you think?
1: Yeah, I mean Jay Z dropped the Nets faster than he dropped a mill, and back in the day. But (laughs) I I do think that they're ready for a post Jay Z reality. But I do, I kind of see them as a sleeping giant. Like you know, maybe ten years from now, once they've you know finally uh, you know dug out of that Celtics trade, uh, right? That's a place people are going to want to play. There is a you know, there's a hipness, or like at least a kind of a. Uh, a separation in in terms of your identity from like the New York Knicks that maybe the Clippers are still kind of struggling to create here in LA, uh, where you could see people, you know, wanting to kind of migrate there and play there. So yeah, I I believe they should be near the top of this list, even though their current championship prospects might be the dead last, you know?
0: Not only that, they're... The idea that the Nets are going to use the massive amounts of cap space that they've created for the next two years to sign like some real superstars that turn them into a contender in like 2021, I don't buy that at all. Um, but long term, don't count out Brooklyn. They can change jerseys. They'll be fine. Clippers are number two the one thing I would say with them is they are always going to be kind of the little brother to the Lakers. Um, and, but it's still LA. They could easily sign Kawhi next summer. They got Jerry West in the mix. They were always going to be one or two on this list. Um, and frankly it's kind of amazing that they sucked for as long as they did. Uh, it's a credit to Donald Sterling, I guess. Um, but, uh, yeah. And it's not three, crazy to think
1: about it happening. Cause we saw it with Chris Paul, Blake Griffin and Deandre, like those teams basically were like four players deep. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and all it took was like one home run trade and one number one pick and boom, they're right there, you know? So, exactly. um, and I think that they were closer to being in this championship conversation than most people are willing to admit. I mean, they had some really, really good teams, uh, you know, during the CP three era and obviously things fell apart in the playoffs, but. Uh, it's just easier to picture them going from where they were, say, three or four years ago to a title than it is for a team like the Grizzlies, given where they were, you know, in a conference finals a few years ago to kind of get back up to that same perch.
0: Yeah. Well, number three, I had the Raptors. Number four, I had the Jazz. Number five, Pacers. Six, the Phoenix Suns. I feel like the combination of warm weather and just like there's always a chance that the Suns are going to suck for 10 straight years and then luck into a handful of superstars. Maybe that's what's happening now. Uh, but I could see the Suns being really good one day, um, whereas lower on this list, it's hard to really imagine that. Um, Grizzlies are a sentimental choice for me at number seven. They probably belong in the like T-Wolves, Pelicans, might lose their team category. Um, but then, They do.
1: They do for sure. That's, I mean, that's so tough with the market and the ownership group. I mean, I don't know. That's, yeah, it's I'd it's fine. Dr- Drop them on your list. You've <laughs> been doing like, good until then, but drop them on your list.
0: Uh, nuggets, I could see catching on at some point. Um, and that's another sentimental choice because the league is more fun when the Nuggets are good, although they always seem to be in this like cult hero, NBA hipster category of teams and never our real contender. Um, The Magic, number nine. The Pelicans, number 10. T-Wolves, number 11. 12, the Hornets. I have, like, the Hornets are very close to not really being in the NBA as far as I'm concerned. And then uh, 13, I do think that the Thunder are going to be cursed for the duration of their NBA existence and will wow. never win a title. That's that's my final thought on this one.
1: Wow. I would have had the Thunder a little bit higher, and I think I would have had the Jazz over a couple teams that you did because I don't think the Jazz are that far away from winning a title right now. Like, I mean, obviously, it re- requires – at least a catastrophic injury to someone on Golden State at minimum. But I think past that, like they're in that next tier and they've got the right core pieces. They've got a clear identity. I mean, uh, you know, I don't think it would be
0: outrageous for them to make a finals in the next five years. Do you? No, not at all. Um, particularly if Golden State starts to fracture a little bit and there isn't a team out there who can just play Gobert off the court by default. Then Gobert's value is is multiplied at that point because right now I think the there's an asterisk ne- next to Gobert's name anytime you discuss his place in the league um, because you know we saw against Houston like he can only do so much when teams are going to spread it out and uh, if if there's not a team out there that can do that. The Jazz are set up as well as anybody going forward. Um, And and they're also really, really smart. They've scouted well. Quinn Snyder is like the top five coach. So I I like where the Jazz are going. It's just like they're on an impossible curve right now.
1: Hey, I have one question to kind of tie a bow on this discussion. Uh How
0: much did you
1: uh, factor in fan base, uh, you know, either excitement or apathy to these rankings. Cause I do think there's something to the idea that if you play in a market where they just demand excellence or they demand relevance, that is uh, a huge advantage. I mean, it just, you know, basically like you don't deal with the soft bigotry of low expectations. You know, you don't just like kind of, you know, back your way into kind of like, you know, 500 seasons and call it good. I think, you know, in Charlotte, uh, obviously Mike wants to win, but is he feeling the same level of pressure like year in, year out from the fans there that a fan base like the Jazz might apply to their organization or a fan base like the Thunder might apply uh, to their organization? It's a really good point,
0: man. It is. I didn't think about it at all um, because I don't know if that really matters when we're talking about like title ceiling. But I hear you because you look at the, the top of this group. And it's like the Jazz, the Pacers, the Raptors, these are teams that have never really tanked the full way and have always kind of managed to stay around 500 and and hit on picks in the middle of the draft. And they've done a really good job doing it that way. And uh, maybe that's like the more sustainable model if you're from a small market
1: i think that's the way to do it so if you're out there listening to this and you're thinking hey these podcast guys they don't talk enough about my favorite team first of all become a louder rowdier fan start a fan organization (laughs) start calling for your gm to be fired start like picketing around your owners you know real businesses so that he makes his nba team a priority start the campaigns to put up billboards to try to attack free agents go all out and see what happens maybe in five or ten years you'll have your first title
0: yeah i look i've considered similar protests here in dc the last 10 or 15 years um moving on though rob but you didn't
1: do it and look where the team is now andrew you considered it but you didn't follow through (laughs) and now you've got dwight howard because of it just let that be a lesson
0: Well, don't worry. We've got a Wizards question in a few minutes. But first, Rob says, Besides being an all-world basketball player, Anthony Davis is the perfect modern big man because he cannot be attacked in a switching scheme, and he's also nimble enough to defend the perimeter. In this way, it makes sense that Boston and all light years ahead Golden State would covet his services the most. They're both already elite teams that expect deep playoff runs wherein switching and mismatched basketball is both more likely to be employed and more valuable. All of which is why I suggest it is time that AD drops the Brow nickname and takes up the moniker of the Sasquatch. It's the rarest oh, of geez. mythical creatures, more so than even the much-ballyhooed unicorn. And Ben, I included this because... It might be my least favorite nickname I've heard in the last like five years of NBA talk. I would be disgusted if this became a thing. I already hate how much NBA <laughs> Twitter obsesses about switching and mismatches. But I have to say, in in a way, it's impressive because it's just, I never even thought that they, a nickname could be this bad. So congrats to Rob. I appreciate it. No, I mean,
1: I came up with interchangeable and I mean, that's rough. <laughs> this
0: <laughs> it,
1: This is clearly worse and it's in the exact same vein. So of course, I love it. Rob, don't expect us to actually try to make this a thing on the podcast, but just realize we respect your commitment to weirdoness, and we uh, <laughs> you've left us basically speechless. I mean, I probably the brow is what we're going to go with, um, but it's better than A.D., can we say that? Like the initial nickname?
0: Yeah, well, you know what I will say? Rob has a point that both the brow and A.D., Feel like inferior nicknames for Anthony Davis and how outrageous he is on a regular basis. And I wish there were something that captured his alien like qualities on a basketball court. But we, this no. Sasquatch is just too far into like NBA Reddit nerdery for me.
1: Yeah, I mean, brows get plucked, they get waxed, they get molded and groomed. And that doesn't really tell us anything about Anthony Davis. It is kind of a weird nickname uh for a guy of his caliber i'm surprised he hasn't come up with a better nickname this is not it
0: yeah not it um but appreciate the effort the bar has been raised from interchangeable uh moving on though ruardi ra from scotland ruardi ra uh <laughs> i don't know yeah, you i don't nailed it <laughs> yeah i nailed it uh but he has a question he says Hey guys, wouldn't it be interesting if the NBA introduced another tournament that could take place around the 40-50 to game mark in the regular season? I say this comparing American sports to European soccer leagues where, instead of having only one main trophy, there are usually three domestic tournaments that each team has a chance to win. Potential incentives for this new NBA tournament could include... Guaranteed playoff spot, higher playoff seed, draft pick bonuses, a larger share of TV revenue. What do you think? Um, So Ben, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts here?
1: I do. I've proposed previously that they take the NBA global games and they turn it into a tournament, a midseason tournament that it's actually just composed of typical regular season games. But you take the six uh, division winners— uh, you you send them over there uh, to say London, Paris, Madrid, Barcelona, yeah. uh, Berlin, Barcelona. You play the global games, you know the typical international game uh, exhibition games that the NBA puts on during the regular season. You kind of make it a round robin thing where maybe every single you know one of those six teams plays like three games, and then whoever has the best record and best point differential after the round robin gets a cool little trophy and you call it like the global games champion or whatever for 2018. And you start with that. And if that actually takes off, if anybody cares, because right now here in America, no one cares about those London games, the Mexico city games or whatever. The only people who talk about them are the beat writers who are complaining about having to travel to a place they don't want to go to or bragging about going to a city that they really did want to go to uh, and how many Marriott points they're going to get at, you know, the, the London, (laughs) uh Ritz Carlton or whatever. So, uh I think that they need to formalize, they need to build on what they've got currently, formalize it, hand out a trophy, uh but you can't really add games to the schedule. I think that's the problem. And so that's why I, I propose using already scheduled games.
0: Okay. I hear you on not being able to add games to the schedule, but I think this would be a secondary source of revenue for the owners. So if you wanted to make this tournament a reality, the way to sell it is like, we're going to lop 10 or 15 games off the schedule and throw a mid-season tournament in the middle of the season and we'll make money that way. You'll make most of your money back. It'll be worth it for everybody. And I think you could probably do that. It's. I like your idea. My issue with it is my issue with the European soccer tournaments as well, which is that like, I don't really understand what teams are playing for over there. Like I know there's the FA cup. I know there's the champions league. I know there's the EPL, uh, regular season title. And then I know there's another cup that happens in the first half of the year too. And like, I don't understand which one is most important. Um, and, uh, that same problem would happen. And that's because I'm an idiot American sports fan who just hasn't grown up with all that. And the same problem would happen here where I think a lot of people would be kind of like apathetic about a midseason tournament that didn't have anything on the line and it was just a little trophy that you got and was like maybe 10% as cool as an NBA title. Having said that though, um, and as you can tell, I'm, I'm paying a little bit closer attention to European soccer because of playing FIFA the last month or two and the World Cup. This is like the closest I've ever been to being a real soccer fan.
1: Um, no, I mean, you sound like Alexi Lawless right now. The way you said EPL, <laughs> it sounded like you were talking about a gas station or something like that. I mean, you're like EPL, but okay, yeah. keep going.
0: You know what? Okay, so here's how you make it work. I still think that they should do a, a second tournament at the end of the year with all the teams who don't make the playoffs and have them play for the rights to pick at number one, I think. And I laid that out in an article midway through the year. We can rehash this next March when everybody starts talking about lottery reform all over again. But I think that playing for the number one pick and the rights to draft like the best player in any given year would be awesome. And people would be very into it and, uh, it, that's something that the NBA should look into. Um, and then okay, you can...
1: so where are you hosting this tourney? I mean, let's your dream scenario. Everybody's signed on. It's going to run, you know, during the breaks of the NBA playoffs or, or whenever you're planning to put it. What city gets to host this, and how are you selling it? What's your marketing plan?
0: I'm a, I'm ahead of you on that one. I've already thought about this, and I think that they should do it in <laughs> Vegas, the second home, the NBA's uh, like summer home. And this is what. There's already lots of roots in that city, and uh, you could just do it across (laughs) two weekends before the beginning of the NBA playoffs in Vegas.
1: There's a fake Eiffel Tower, so you've got the international angle. I thought we were trying to do a global games, Andrew. Why are we putting it in Vegas?
0: Okay, well, (laughs) no, that's that's the lottery tournament. The midseason tournament, I like the idea of having a having the winner be the guaranteed one seed in either conference. And you could do an East and West tournament uh, for the one seed and have, have the best teams play. And I think that'd be really fun. And if you want to put it in Madrid or whatever, so that you can stock up on the Marriott points, be my guest. I don't care where we do it, but if we had a mid season tournament with, with real stakes, whether it's, an extra $10 million in cap space or a guaranteed one seed, I think people would pay attention. My only point is that Americans will need stakes to give a shit about any of this.
1: No, I I agree with you on that last part. Americans will need stakes. And that's why I don't think there should be any stakes because I think we should just sort of, you know kind of pretend that we care about this, but not actually do it right. I mean, honestly, like (laughs) we've got enough games. People are only going to care about the Larry O'Brien trophy. I don't like the idea of having, you know, multiple different incentives. So now certain games are worth more than others because they can get you the number one seed. Uh, I think that really, you know, decreases the impact and the importance of the other games during your schedule. And it maybe unfairly rewards certain teams that are hot for a short period of time. Uh, To me, I think we should just sort of like you know, you know, dress up or or put some lipstick on the global games like we've got currently. Maybe package it a little bit better and put it in some cool arenas and call that good. I, I think we shouldn't get too complicated here.
0: Okay, so you're just trying to kick the can down the road. You don't want to reinvent the wheel. You're trying to be less ambitious than I am. That's fine. I hear you. <laughs> and that's a perfectly fair perspective on this. Um, I personally look am any a dream any bigger. tournament
1: we can get. Any tournament we can get in Vegas, I'm definitely in. It doesn't really matter what it's for. Um, So I kind of like the idea of adding that. I think it would be simpler logistically, but I, I am picturing, you know, international NBA tournament just being like a giant headache and it's on at weird times. Are the fans able to watch it? You know, how does it work? I mean, the same kinds of hiccups that have basically made the NBA get nowhere on expansion to Europe, I think would maybe, you know, kind of get in the way of, of really doing this thing right.
0: Yeah, okay. Um, well, we, we can continue workshopping it over the next 10 or 15 years or however long it would take well, to actually implement any of this.
1: Look, the next step, though, if we're going to have an NBA All-Star game in Charlotte, okay, let's put the NBA All-Star game in Paris, London, Berlin, Barcelona, Madrid, one of those cities. I think we can do that. I think we could settle. We have a week now during February for All-Star Weekend, right? We can get everybody over to London, no problem. Brand new arena over there. Uh, The local fans would go crazy because they'd actually get to see LeBron and Steph and everything. It'd be a great marketing opportunity. I think that is the next move before we do anything else. And it's too much of a no-brainer. I really honestly can't believe it hasn't happened yet. I know there's a lot of teams who have like new arenas or renovated arenas, so they're vying for it here in the United States. But Adam Silver, if you're really serious about reaching the entirety of the open floor globe, let's get an international all-star game over across the pond, you know, a real international all-star game, not just the Toronto one.
0: Okay. I hear you, but I, and I feel bad about this. I just can't possibly listen to you pitching an international all-star game without thinking Ben just wants to do this for the reward points that he would get. With the like twenty thousand miles of international travel, and I respect it, and I know that you have other reasons in mind. Uh, I would love to do that. If the last time we pitched international NBA tentpole events, we got a bunch of angry emails from people who said common fans won't be able to go do that. It's just like sports writers or whatever. Uh, but I'm and that's in. That's true. Well, that's because I was trying to put- trip to Paris. <laughs>
1: That's because I was trying to put the NBA finals in Havana, Cuba, which they probably saw right through, you know? And I was like, <laughs> neutral site, Havana. Let's go you know, hang out on the beach for a week and a half. Um, yeah. As we watch LeBron lose again.
0: Well, listen, uh, we won't have to watch LeBron lose this year because the Lakers are not going to make the finals. Uh, so it's going to be different, whatever happens. Moving on, though. Thaddeus says... Isn't the best case scenario for the Wizards something like 54 wins and a 3 seed? The reality is that you guys are playing for the 6 seed and maybe hoping for the 3 or 4, and John Wall's salary basically doubles next year. It was a good run, you had some fun teams, but it's time to embrace the anti-Wizards. And I think he's pushing for me, this is part of a longer email, he's pushing for me to turn heel and start rooting for the Wizards to tear it down entirely And he continues saying, how many first round picks would you get over the next three drafts if you traded Porter, Wall, and Bradley Beal? What other assets could you get for Markeith Morris, Austin Rivers, Dwight Howard, parentheses, just kidding, and Kelly Oubre? What if the Wizards were also willing to take on horrible salary in the process? Ask yourself this. Do you think Philly regrets not continuing its course in the early part of the last decade where they would have bounced back and forth between being the sixth best team and the 10th best team in the conference every year? Uh, What I will say is that I don't trust the people in charge to execute a tear down and rebuild scenario. And that given the limitations that are inherent to the wizards because of like who's running the team. I'd rather just have a pretty good team that's fun to root for. Um and I think the process worked but was va- it basically turns entirely still on the health of Joel Embiid and so it's not exactly like a foolproof blueprint. Um and there are far more examples of teams around the NBA. Like we got another question about the Orlando Magic that I don't think we're going to get to. But like the Magic, the Kings, teams that just are stuck in this kind of no man's land and rebuilding with players who don't really have superstar potential. I it, To me, they're, that's more likely than turning into the next Sixers or the next Thunder or whoever. Um, particularly if you're not going to bring in someone like Hinky, although even Hinky, like there are fewer advantages to exploit these days than there were when Hinky took over in Philly. So it's it's tough. I don't want to blow out the Wizards.
1: Yeah, I think let's let's be honest here for a second. I mean you deep down in the, you know, the most logical part of your brain, you know, you're not going to win a title in your lifetime, right? Oh. You've, you've pretty much come to terms with that. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. In my you've lifetime? That,
0: no way. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> <No> way. <laughs> well,
1: okay. You might not want, you, you don't want to admit it publicly because you have a lot of fans from DZ who listen to the show. I completely understand that. But deep down, <laughs> you know, you're never going to win a title. And it, it's not really a sixer situation because, you know, It was for them, title or bust, right? That was their goal. The new ownership groups all yeehaw about it. Let's go out there and win a title. Let's be a dynasty and and all that stuff. I mean, that is just not the vibe of ownership, management, the coaching staff, the roster, the fan base, the city, or anything in DC. I mean, nothing about your entire vibe says we are going to commit ourselves to five years of misery so that we're going to maximize our chances to have a title contending team. Your guys' vibe says, oh, well, I hope we're good this year, but if we're not, oh, well, I'll be back next year.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's true, right? And that's, like, that's you, the problem. Okay, now, let me just be very clear, though. I have thought very, I've thought often about whether the Wizards will win a title in my lifetime. And my conclusion is, yes, they will. We've got, I Knock on wood. I feel like I've got thirty to fifty years left, okay, and I think the Wizards can get it done at some point in that span. But uh, you're right that currently that apathy is real, and it's definitely not something that would be conducive to like a full scale rebuild. Because what would happen is the Wizards would start to get decent, and then they would they would sign some half assed veteran and win like forty four games and be hailed as like. An up-and-coming team—it would just be basically what happened like uh, four or five years ago. So it wouldn't—it wouldn't end well with the current group in charge.
1: I mean, weak jerseys, weak court—you know, just <laughs> everything. Weak TV contract. I mean, just everything about it says we're settling for B minuses. That's yeah. that's sort of the vibe that I'm getting from your franchise. And so I think before you rush to blow everything up, I think it's more about looking within as an entire uh, fan base and organization. And that's why I'm saying I think you really need to put the pressure on ownership here and say, you're no longer willing to settle for B minuses, you don't expect him to trash a team that's perfectly functional, and could make the Eastern Conference finals, you know, in a best case scenario, uh, like the email mentioned, Um, you don't expect him to throw all of that away for a shot at, you know, a lottery ticket in the NBA draft. But you do want to see a little bit more commitment from top to bottom, a little bit more thought, a little bit more respectable behavior, some higher priced coaching hires maybe in the future and things of that nature, right? Don't you at least want to see that? Shouldn't that be the move if you're a fan rather than saying, hey, just torch everything, burn it down?
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think that part of the reason I'd be less inclined to torch everything and burn it down is like to answer the question, I don't know how many first round picks you would get for trading John Wall's <laughs> contract at this point. I, th- I don't think you're going to get like the number one pick for John Wall. Yeah. Um, and if you could, it'd be a uh, different you're getting, conversation.
1: You're getting, you're getting negative 1.5. I mean, aren't you attaching? <laughs> yeah. uh, you might be giving up it, to that? who knows?
0: Um, yeah. So I agree with you and I, I agree with you on the settling for B minuses thing. And, improving on the the margins is the more realistic approach um all i'm saying is i'm going to continue to believe in the wizards franchise of like the 2040s because that's the only thing that really keeps me going is knowing that one day i'm going to be sitting there and watch the wizards actually like get their shit together and uh and i think the three seed is is a realistic goal for for this season
1: For sure. I think of any of the teams that are in the Eastern Conference that have, you know, any chance of, you know, mattering, I feel like they might be the most undervalued right now. Just because a lot of things went wrong last year. Wall missed, you know, basically half the season. um, And they add a piece in Austin Rivers, who I think is actually going to help them quite a bit. So, you know, if you want to make the case that, you know, they're undervalued because they're not being talked about as a home court advantage type team. I think that's a completely logical, you know, rational thing, uh, you know, to put out there into the universe. And, and for that, I support you.
0: Yeah. Well, and John wall was in a little Wayne video yesterday, which is a significant oh. step up from D rugs, the party promoter. He was chilling with a couple <laughs> weeks ago. So Jeez. I'm happy to see him getting back on that elite track. Uh, I'm excited. I'm really excited for, for the start of the season. It's going to be a fun, weird year. Um, but so moving your, your on, big, your
1: big three is Jod Wall, Wheezy, and D-Rugs. Yeah, that sounds like a title <laughs> core.
0: <laughs> what could go wrong? Uh, podium now. Um, Misha says Sharp said that Brad Stevens should get an ownership stake when he hasn't made it out of AAA to even make the finals. Sharp also barely walked back. His Kerr is leaving take, even though Steve Kerr has made it out of the West for four straight years and won the whole thing three times. This is sheer lunacy. So Mm -hmm. I just want to (laughs) quickly correct a couple things on that front. Number one, I never said that Steve Kerr was going to get fired. My whole take and or theory is, Was that Kerr would be so sick of dealing with the Golden State players who basically just tuned him out and like sleepwalked through seven months last season that he would just win another title and decide he's ready to walk away? He didn't do that. I was wrong. I thought about it. I was never alleging that Kerr was going to get like shit canned by Joe Lacob. Okay, that's not what we were predicting. Number two, though. The Brad Stevens thing, I apologize. I framed that discussion wrong. What I should have asked is like, (laughs) if you're the Knicks, would you give him, if you're James Dolan, would you offer two or three percentage points of ownership um, in the Knicks to come coach in New York? And if you're the Celtics, would you then match? I feel like that's a really good debate because of how effective Stevens has been at getting the most out of whoever he's given. Um, but uh, I, the way I framed it, it was like, if you're the Celtics, would you just give him an extra $25 million in like equity just because he's been good, which I don't think they would have any reason to do that. So yeah,
1: you're mentioning it's a really good debate. I'm curious, when you were at the bar in Nantucket wearing <laughs> your Vineyard vine polos, and, you know, downing your Sam Adams beers, what did your fellow Celtics fans think when you put this hypothetical to them? You know, <laughs> are we going to lose Brad Stevens to our rivals, the Knicks? What what was the response? I mean, what was the uh, the consensus out there on the island?
0: No, <laughs> I, I didn't talk to any Celtics fans while I was there. So don't worry. Uh, I'm not that deep into Celtics nation. I, I'm sure the Celtics fans would say, just give it to them. Who cares? It's not our money um but yeah i i and i think this the idea of stevens ever leaving for a different team is unrealistic because he's got such a great working relationship with the front office that it would never happen but My only point, and and Misha's wrong on this one. Like Stevens, in my opinion, is a better coach than Steve Kerr, and is the best coach in the league at this point. And that's why I I would put him in a different category. It's it's Brad Stevens and Popovich, in terms of like uh, a foundation setting coach that gives you like a chance no matter what. Um, And so that's kind of why I posed the question initially.
1: Boy, oh boy, oh boy! Misha's face is going to be so red. He's going to have smoke coming out of his ears when he hears that Kerr isn't up uh, <laughs> on Stevens's level. But I mean, what do you? I, think? I don't know. I, I think you. I think you've no. You've made your case. I mean, I think we we shortchange Steve Kerr a lot here because there's so many established stars to get a lot of credit. Yeah. Um, in Golden State, but when you look at just the year over year improvement in his first season taking over from Mark Jackson, you could say. Mark Jackson is a worse than replacement level coach. That's fine. But the leap that they made with Steve Kerr, the, how their entire mentality, their team approach, every uh, every one of their stars and role players kind of stepping up and becoming a better player in that first season, to me, that says an awful lot about his job. Uh, as a coach in terms of a tone setter and also just a strategic guy in terms of how he laid it out and I think they raised that bar so quickly in year one that it affected perception because now we all just assume that they're going to be great right like we just have this assumption that they're going to win 65 68 games whereas Stevens built things in Boston very gradually so you can kind of Continue to sell yourself on, like, look at him just squeezing this great lemonade out of lemons. Look at him go, Brad Stevens. You know, and and year after year, he does it with slightly better talent. And then, you know, four or five years later, all of that gradual improvement has turned into a really impressive team. But I mean, I think, first of all, to do what Kerr did in terms of that one year turnaround in his first season, he doesn't get enough credit for that. And then to be able to maintain it at that high level, for four and and probably going on five straight years is really, really tough. For those reasons, I'd still have Kerr over Stevens. Although, you know, when you're making arguments like in-game tacticians or or certain play calls or, you know, uh, out of timeouts and all that stuff, I could see an argument for Stevens too.
0: That's my argument. If we were arguing between the two would be that if you give Brad Stevens, the Warriors roster, he's going to win a title every time. Whereas if you give Steve Kerr, the Celtics roster last year or the past few years, I don't think he's as successful as Stevens has been. Um, but. Yeah, and I think the
1: counter to that, though, is just that the Warriors roster is the Warriors roster because of Steve Kerr, right? Like, yeah. where was Draymond? Where was Steph? Where was Clay in 2013? Uh, I think that's, you know, that I think that your argument, we hear that a lot more uh, about Kerr of like, okay, a lot of people can win with that talent, but, you know,
0: I R. think Jackson that's wasn't winning with that very, talent. very fair. I mean, Kerr came in and they turned into one of the best defenses the, the NBA had. I think they were first the year Kerr took over. And then the offense has been like the most revolutionary shit we've ever seen. And Kerr deserves a lot of credit for that. And he does, deserves a lot of credit for managing the, the personalities over the last four years, which is sort of a trite compliment but it's also a real thing that a a lot of coaches would not have been able to navigate as well as Kerr has and so it's it's splitting hairs comparing the two because honestly they're like two and three or one and three or one and two like they're two of the best coaches in the entire world so it's all good.
1: It is all good. I'm glad we could uh, be so polite to each other. We haven't been really yelling at each other quite uh, you know, quite well, that much on this episode, but I'm with you. He's a top three coach. Steve is a yeah. top three and coach, period.
0: I, you know what? I have some residual guilt after f- like fake firing Steve Kerr mid- midway through the Rocket series, even though I never said he was going to get fired. Uh, I feel like I owe it to Kerr to say that he is still great because he is, and he's also like one of the most enjoyable personalities the league has. Um But moving on, you and I are being too polite. Spike Eskin, host of the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast, text messaged me at 7 a.m. last week uh, and said, I cannot handle the way you two morons talk about Giannis. And this Bucks stuff Mm. goes all the way back to your dumb Grantland podcast. I'm still waiting for the Bucks to have at least one impressive regular season. Find one guy on a great team who has as high a usage rate as Giannis who can't shoot or isn't an above-average creator for others. I will save you the research. It doesn't exist. It's like you guys have never watched a full game of Giannis playing for the Bucks. He's very talented, but until he finds a way to be useful off the ball or learns how to shoot or becomes a great creator, he is a taller Russell Westbrook. He'll be scary for single games, but in an extended series, he'll always punch himself out. Fuck you guys. So, there is Spike's rant. I appreciate the early morning passion. To me, it's just sad that there are still people out there who think like this. Um, do you have any reactions?
1: Well, is it a bit like? Does the bit start at seven a.m. or does he clock into bit mode at like eight or nine a.m. <laughs> or, or? I mean, That's is a he very serious about question. this, Giannis criticism? <laughs>
0: I, I think if you ask Spike, he wouldn't be able to tell you whether it's a bit or the bit has just merged into his real personality and how he feels. The, the Russell Westbrook, the taller Russell Westbrook take was workshopped. I was part of the workshopping process, but I think he genuinely believes it too. So I don't know what what the answer is there.
1: No, I think there's some comparisons to be made offensively, but defensively, like Westbrook is not a guy who's going to be able to guard four or five positions. He's not going to be a sw- switch squash or whatever the other guy was talking about with Anthony Davis. <laughs> I mean, you could <laughs> you you could throw Giannis kind of in that same category. Uh, Giannis is a great shot blocker, super long, contests a lot of shots, uh, you know, steals, and so to me the comparison especially when you look at their ages and you know their relative you know projected health here over the next couple of years i mean it's not the world's greatest uh, all around comparison of course giannis needs to develop uh, as a playmaker for others uh, and as a shooter you know there's no question about it i think this is where coach bud uh, kind of comes in a little bit you know one of our open floor globe members a guy named mo lives here in la and he does video breakdowns and he was you know, looking at some sets that the Hawks have run in the past, you know, during, you know, the coach Bud tenure that could really help unlock Giannis. And his point was, you know, you you should be able to use Giannis in lots of creative ways, whether... Uh, you know, he's as a guy you feed an entry pass to, and then run other players off, and then allow him to use that uh, movement around him to gain an advantage going one on one to the basket, and maybe get a higher percentage look mm-hmm. rather than just you know facing up and dribbling one on one from the perimeter. Uh, he was talking about trying to use uh, Giannis in other off-ball ways coming off screen so that it's not so much of the stagnation that we saw uh, at times from Milwaukee. So I-, I hear what people are saying about. Well, you know, at times maybe Giannis' offensive game devolves a little bit like Westbrook's. But the the problem with Westbrook is we've seen him with multiple different stars around him. We've seen him with multiple different coaches, and the problems or the flaws have sort of been proven to be the same. We're not at that same point with Giannis because you know he's had multiple coaches, none really high level coaches. And when he came into the league, obviously he was very raw player and didn't exactly know what he was doing the first couple of years. I would like to see him. Uh, you know I would like to table this discussion basically until we've seen him uh, after a year under bud and see if some of these same endemic problems that you know Spike is pointing to uh, are still as glaring uh, as they seem right now in other words I don't write off uh Giannis in the same way I've kind of written off Westbrook's ability to really lead a super high-powered offense I think Giannis can still be that guy
0: yeah well and you're giving these criticisms way too much credit and engaging with it (laughs) engaging with all this with far too much good faith okay fuck you Spike if you're listening uh it's This is only a reminder of what we're up against as Giannis believers. People might be listening to this podcast and think, oh, everybody loves Giannis. No, you have sad Sixers crackpots out there trying to claim that Joel Embiid is more valuable than Giannis Inc. And it's bullshit. And all you can really do is pity the people who don't see the truth about Giannis. And what's going to happen this year is he's going to win MVP and Spike's taller Russell Westbrook take is going to get even worse. So it's all good it's just... unbelievable you, you
1: you let me break it down for two minutes before just saying yeah dude it was a bit i asked you before i started <laughs> if it was a bit
0: <laughs> i don't know if it's a bit or not i think if you ask spike he really believes it but anyways um moving on two more questions keith says i have coached a high school basketball team for 11 years Every year, one day of practice is cut short and we watch a DVD called Larry Legend, highlighting Larry Bird's career and basically making him into a godlike figure. It's the same video I watched with my father when I was young, and it's always funny to see how the kids react today. At the end of each season, the kids and parents usually pitch in and get me a gift, usually consisting of a Visa gift card or money towards a restaurant. It's always very generous and thoughtful. But a couple of years ago, the team bought me an authentic baby blue Indiana State Larry Bird jersey where the eye Ooh. in Indiana is the silhouette of the state. I know exactly what jersey you're talking about, as do I'm sure most people. Um, it was a callback to when we watched the Larry Legend video during the season. It was so thoughtful and meant so much to me that I nearly started to cry. I had never had enough money growing up to buy an authentic jersey before. So this was very, very special to me. I was riding high until I got home that evening to show my wife. She sees that I am enthusiastic and she understands how much it means to me. After my initial presentation, she asks, where would you wear that? And I stood there puzzled. It hadn't crossed my mind that I have no occasion to ever wear this jersey. I'm an adult, so I kind of feel foolish wearing it to go grocery shopping or something. I don't live close to a city, so I don't go to pro or college basketball games ever. Even if I did, I'm not sure it would be appropriate unless it was an actual bird-related team like the Celtics or Pacers. So instead, it just sits sadly in my drawer when and where is it appropriate for a ben goliver-esque adult i.e professional (laughs) well-adjusted to wear a jersey like this when do you wear jerseys do you just take them out of your closet every once in a while and look at them like i do first of all i don't like that i wasn't included as a a (laughs) professional well-adjusted adult but beyond that great email do you have any thoughts on this ben
1: well, first of all, being described as well-adjusted makes it seem like I just don't use the restroom on the sidewalk, you know? So it's like, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, he's you don't know Ben pup, that well puppy enough. Or something. This,
0: ben is a person who watches like 10 hours of basketball every day. He's not particularly well-adjusted, but in any case, uh, you're unique, so you got that going for you.
1: Thanks. That's a really nice compliment. Uh, I have a (laughs) lot of thoughts here for Keith and I really appreciate the backstory. Phenomenally told, uh, tugged on my heartstrings, but I want to talk to you, Keith, coach to coach, life coach to basketball coach here because you're in need of a pep talk, Keith. I think you're asking exactly the wrong question. And that question was, as your wife put it, when are you ever going to wear that jersey? Keith, the question you should be asking yourself is, when are you ever not going to wear that basketball jersey? Because you have, you're sitting on a goldmine. First of all, it's an awesome jersey, regardless if, if you didn't even like Larry Bird. And I'm not the world's biggest Larry Bird fan. Andrew, that jersey is a sick jersey right if you got that for christmas you would be pumped about it yes regardless of whether you like larry bird or not. okay there's no hold on. Question. Uh,
0: so i would but i would also have a lot of the same problems keith is currently having because don't worry isn't... i'm getting to that I... <laughs> okay <laughs> like i literally what keith described where you just pull out a cool jersey and look at it in your bedroom is something that i do every now and then like i i have a, an authentic kevin durant sonics jersey and it's my my prized possession among, among my jersey collection and i never have a, a place to wear that but sometimes i just kind of pull it out or pull out the 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 gilbert arenas authentic jersey that i have and like there're a, a handful that i really value but it's just i'm too old these days guys 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 this is not a
1: problem of style This is not a problem of attire. This is a problem of confidence. Andrew, you are now the guy who owns the awesome Durant jersey. Keith, you are the guy who owns the awesome Larry Bird jersey. And the question you should be asking is, when am I not going to wear this jersey? Okay, you're not going to wear it to funerals. You're not going to wear it to date night uh, with your lovely supporting wife. You're not going to wear it to church. Everywhere else you want to wear that jersey, Keith, you wear that jersey because you're about to be the guy who everyone sees on the street and thinks, man, that guy (laughs) has that dope Larry Bird jersey that I cannot afford. And Keith, I would be telling you this even if you didn't have a personal connection with Larry Bird, but clearly this guy has a major role in your life, both professionally and personally, given that you showed this video to your... You know, your teams. So, first of all, if you're a little bit nervous about wearing it, you should wear it the next time you show that video to your next group of teams, period. They're going to want to see how much you love Larry Bird. (laughs) That's going to get you comfortable in your new skin. Now, here's another tip for you I don't know what your biceps look like. I'm not going to, you know, judge one way or the other on whether you've got, you know, a farmer's tan or, you know, you're, you know, you're well orange or whatever. Get yourself get yourself a long sleeve white t-shirt, wear that underneath the jersey with jeans and sneakers. That is what they call a fit. That's what the millennials call a fit, Keith. You are going to look dope, and you can wear that to the grocery store. You're worried about the grocery store, you can wear that to mow the lawn, you can wear that virtually anywhere. You're going to be awesome. And I would not be surprised, Andrew, depending on where he lives, if other Larry Bird fans would come up to him and just ask for a picture with him, even though he's not a celebrity, he's just wearing a cool jersey. I think that could happen. So Keith, this is all about confidence. I'm sure you've got a point guard on your team who's afraid to shoot in the final minute. I'm sure you've got a big guy who doesn't want to get fouled, doesn't want to go to the free throw line. And I'm sure you've already tried to coach them up. You've tried to pat them on the back. You've tried to encourage them. Keith, you need to encourage yourself here, okay? You're the guy with the cool jersey. Go out there and let the whole world know it. And you know what? If you just sit your wife down, if you're worried about you know kind of the backlash, she might feel the secondary shame she might be uh, you know experiencing as she's in public with a grown man wearing a jersey, you just need to tell her exactly what you told us in the email. This guy matters a lot to you. It was a gift that almost brought tears to your eyes, and he is someone you look at like a hero. That should convince her. She seems like a reasonable woman. I bet she will come around and see things from your point of view. Lastly, uh, I don't wear jerseys that often, but uh-huh. if I need to really dig deep, you know, and write a nice blurb for the top 100, or if I need to write a really hot <laughs> take column on LeBron James, uh, you know, going to the Lakers, whatever it might be, you know, I put on an MJ jersey, Andrew. You know, I'm here talking to myself in my apartment, strapped with the 23 in my desk you know, banging out the quality column, getting myself in that mentality and channel the greatness of these basketball stars into your daily life. You're only going to benefit. I am living proof.
0: Okay. Well, I have a couple responses before we close out here. Number one, I was pretty concerned, like halfway through, I was like, Ben, this is where Ben is not well-adjusted. He has no idea what kind of social situations <laughs> Keith is going to be getting into. That's part of the problem here. But, no, you brought it full circle, and you're absolutely right. The place for Keith to wear his Larry Bird jersey is at practice with these kids, okay? It doesn't even have to be limited to the day he shows the Larry Legend highlights. He can wear it every day. That would be awesome. Um and the other thing that I would say is I have thought about like putting on a jersey to work. But the problem is I feel like an idiot as I'm working. It's it's a look good, play good thing. OK, like I can't pull off the jersey look at this point in my life. And so I wearing a jersey to like blog about the NBA is counterproductive for me. But I do appreciate Andrew, Andrew, your Andrew. motivational pep it- talk here.
1: It hurts to hear you say that because you're only judging yourself here, okay? There's no one else who's (laughs) looking at you in in that KD jersey and thinking that you're a loser, okay? That's all a mental thought within your own brain. Spin it forward. Okay. Ask yourself the opposite question. Why shouldn't I wear that KD jersey? You will live a happier, more comfortable life. And Keith, report back. I want to hear how this goes for you. The next two months, you're going to take that baby blue, beautiful Larry Bird jersey, out of the drawer you're not going to just look at it with a forlorn look and you know glance over at your wife to see if she's judging you you're gonna go out into public you're gonna rock it proudly just like larry bird would want
0: yeah look rock it at practice coach bird is has a nice ring to it um but with that ben uh i will talk to you next week we didn't get to everything this week we got a lot <laughs> to get to next week too but um thank you sir i'll talk to you soon Yeah, and also, you know, put
1: those jerseys on when you go to Apple Podcasts and search for Open Floor. That's two words. Scroll down. It says rate and review. Tap five stars. You can rate and review us like an NBA champion. All you got to do is put your jersey on. Also, Andrew, they can email us at openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. We got some great emails this past week. We're going to roll them over to next week. And Andrew, until then... I will talk to you.
0: That's right. Put your jerseys on. Basketball is almost here. Talk to you soon, man. Another great edition of Open Floor is in the books. Did you know Locked On has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? If you're a Lakers fan, search Locked On Lakers. A Celtics fan, search Locked On Celtics. Warriors fans, search Locked On Warriors. Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcasts, Locked On, your favorite team. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.